Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Good morning. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus and called to be his holy people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech, with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony by Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there'll be no divisions among you, but that you perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some come from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Cephas, still another I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ of lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Well, good morning, everybody. There is a spectacular bit of real estate in the world Abrahalas, 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 I don't actually know how to pronounce it. And I checked the internet and there was like eight different ways to pronounce it. And I think you have to be Portuguese to be able to pronounce it correctly. But it's a spectacularly beautiful place. It is off the coast of Brazil and it is considered to be one of the areas of greatest biodiversity anywhere in the entire South Atlantic. It has all sorts of ecosystems. It's got a string of islands. It has these spectacular coral reefs, and it has a whole ton of species, things, you know, of course, like the humpback whale and all sorts of seabirds and things like that, but it has endangered species as well, both in the coral reef and in its wildlife. It's got parrotfish that are found only here and uh, have been protected for a very long time. It is considered to be a jewel of beauty by so many biologists, ecotourists, fishermen, 
people that just go down to see diving and scuba and things like this. A few months ago, little blobs of oil started showing up. And then they were in the water, and then they were in the estuaries, and then they were hitting the mangroves, and they were starting to settle in on the coral reefs, and then they were starting to show up on the beaches. And they couldn't actually figure out where the oil had come from. They have some ideas, but they're not actually sure where it came from. But they do estimate that when all of it is said and done, there will be some 2,500 tons of oil that will have been deposited and only some of which would be able to have been cleaned up. Ecosystems will be damaged. Animals will die. Fishermen will lose some of their areas for fishing. Experts tell us that this kind of a thing, of course, is pretty normal, but we don't even know where a lot of these spills come from. A lot of the things that taint the ocean, they just sort of happen and show up. And sometimes it's something big, right? So you'll, you'll see a massive oil spill and an international effort to run down there and clean it up. And then other times, oil just starts to show up somewhere. And it could be from a tanker that was leaking, and it might be from a pipeline that was damaged in some sort of superstorm. And experts say we may never really know. Sometimes it's as subtle as a couple of gallons that are, that are leaching out of a 50-year-old shipwreck. Just a couple gallons a day, but every day for 50 years. And I'm reading this story, and of course, it's, it, it makes a person sad, and you wish this wasn't the kind of thing that was going on in our world, and how frustrating, how many thousands of things like this. But I'm reading through this while I'm reading through 1 Corinthians, and I'm starting to think to myself, this, the Bible often does something that looks just like this, talks about something that looks just like this. But instead of crude oil, the issue we face is sin. And instead of it being tankers and, and pipelines, it has to do with the, the cultural influences that are all around us. Or it has to do with, with the sin that's in our hearts that, that is continuing trying to, to taint what's going on in our lives, the work that God is trying to do. It's, it's an enemy that is bent on actually wrecking our souls and, and fouling up our relationships and making certain that our mission goes unfulfilled. We're looking here at this, uh, we're starting a new series today, and it's called uh, Supernatural Power for Everyday People, and it's largely going to be a study in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be seeing how it is that for 2,000 years, what have been some of the things that have tripped up the Christian church and how is it that the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the power of Christ has been used to address these things that have fouled up our souls and damaged our relationships. And this study is going to be a little bit different. We're going to try something a little bit uh, a little bit. Uh, off the beaten path for Beacon. We're going to be doing this more as a verse-by-verse -verse study. We're going to be taking a look at a whole, uh, the whole of the book of 1 Corinthians is the goal. We'll see how that goes. And uh, we're going to work through the, the, all of the text, make comments. It's going to be a little bit uh, more in, the, in that style. 
where we'll be uh, kind of doing some key words and talking some history and doing a little bit more geography and things like that. But uh, the gist of it is that after the series, you'll have some, some of the highlights of the message of 1 Corinthians, but you will also have a much more comprehensive understanding of the whole of the book yourselves for your future study in uh, God's Word. And so uh, let's jump in. We're going to be starting with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. And so Paul, he starts these letters, and he will often give a little bit of his credibility, right? He'll be like, all right, this is Paul. I'm an apostle. I'm from Jesus Christ and from God. It's God's will. And there's something important in this for us to recognize because, you know, often people will approach the word of God. And if you're brand new to understanding the scriptures, then you come to it however you come to it. But for followers of Jesus, there comes a point in time where we realize that it has proven itself trustworthy enough that we must now submit ourselves to its authority. And Paul starts us off on that. And he's saying, listen, guys, this isn't just me telling you stuff. This is the word of God. Like, I'm here as an apostle. I've been sent by the will of God to represent Jesus Christ to you, which means this isn't like a give or take kind of thing. Give it or take, you know, give it or leave it. You know, take it or leave it kind of a thing. This is a, this is a you, you need to listen. But it's more than that, too. When you get through the letter, you start to realize that this is an authority, not just based on this idea that God is all-powerful and that he's mighty, uh, which would be enough to listen to him, right? He is the creator of the universe and all that, so we should like kind of go with that. But, but, but when you're reading it through the, when you read through the book, you start to realize that this is the authority that comes from a creator who knows you, who understands how we were meant to be, who we are meant to be. Our full humanity is expressed when we actually follow what God says for us because, of course, he knows what it is that we need. Then he mentions uh, Sosthenes, which is uh, kind of an interesting thing because you don't hear too much about this guy, but he shows up in the book of Acts. So a little bit before uh, this time, you're kind of reading in the history, this guy Sosthenes shows up. And what's neat about him is he's in Acts 18 if you want to read about him later. But what's pretty cool is when he first shows up, he's actually the head of the synagogue that's there in Corinth. And so he's a Jewish leader. And he gets a group of the Jewish people from the synagogue to challenge Paul in front of the Roman authorities, who happens to be a man named Gallio at the time. Well, he goes before Gallio. Gallio tells Paul, you know what, I, this, is, this seems like an intramural thing. You Jewish people, you go figure it out. The Romans aren't going to get involved in this debate. And so he allows Paul to continue teaching what he was teaching, but he rebukes Sosthenes and the Jewish leaders of the synagogue. This doesn't go well for Sosthenes. In fact, he's beaten by the crowd. So he expected Paul would be rebuked, but Paul isn't rebuked. He ends up, it bounces back on Sosthenes, who ends up beaten by the crowd, probably because he humiliated the Jewish leaders or the synagogue, or maybe it was anti-Semitism in the community. We're not exactly sure, but because of Paul, this dude gets beaten. But now Paul, a few years later, references him as like a, almost like a, a joint author of this book. It seems as if something has happened, that Sosthenes is now a leader within the Christian community. So something took place. A guy most unlikely 
to have ever responded to the message of Jesus, who probably was very angry and aggravated at Paul, something changed. And what I love, and we don't know what, I, I, in my version of this, I think Paul went over to him after everybody else abandoned him, and I think Paul said, listen, man, like, uh, you know, no, there's not a big ad, I told you so kind of a moment for Paul. I think Paul's like, I was where you are. I was a Jewish leader, and I experienced this thing from Jesus, and I just want to, like, just tell you about him again, and I think he just showed him love, and, and the two became fast friends, and, sought to, and and we don't know, again, we don't know how that happened. We, that, those are all the details that we get from the scripture, but... But for me, what struck me is that every single one of us has a Sosthenes in our life, maybe quite a few of them. We have that person where it looks like there's just no chance. They'll never come to know and accept Christ. They've been too hurt, too abused, too angry. And we look at it and we go, ah. Oh. God's never going to be able to reach that person. You might even be thinking about them right now. They've come to your mind right now, and it's one of these people that we pray for all the time. Maybe it's a few people. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's someone that you've just invested countless hours in, and I just can't help but say, if a guy like Sosthenes can come to faith and become a leader in the Christian community, God can reach anyone, anyone. All right, so... In the next verse, it says, to the church of God in Corinth. The church of God in Corinth. Now, Corinth is an interesting place. The city had originally been a Greek city, Greek Corinth, but it was destroyed around 146 BC because the Greeks were resisting Roman rule. The Romans didn't like that. The Romans came in and leveled the city and left it desolate for 100 years. Then they started rebuilding it. And the way they started rebuilding it wasn't by bringing a whole lot of like wealthy elites and political leaders in. They started rebuilding it by populating it with the ex-soldiers. And so like veterans were, you know, they were given land and they were given a way to prosper and they were given a way to get a leg up. And they also populated it with freedmen is what, is what they're called. And so these would have been slaves who had either earned uh, or bought, or something, somehow got their freedom. And so Rome now is rebuilding Corinth, and I put Italy in here because all of you Italians now know where it is, otherwise you wouldn't be able to find it. Uh, but, you know, it's a part of, of Greece, even in, it's in modern-day Greece. But because of its location here, people didn't want to sail around Greece, some pretty uh, treacherous waters up here. And so ships from Asia would come in over to Corinth, and they had a little land travel thing that they would pack up all the supplies over here, and uh, they would bring them over to the other side of their peninsula and you would be able to avoid some treacherous waters and so this became a gateway between Europe and Asia and so it became wildly popular, popular and extremely wealthy. All sorts of people found their way to Corinth. It was very uh, cosmopolitan. It had a whole lot of culture, different types of people. They had rich, they had poor, they had a ton of prostitutes and they also had about a third of the population that were slaves. And yet, if you wanted to really get a leg up socially, you would find your way to Corinth. If you were looking for a business opportunity, if you were looking to engage in international trade, if you were involved in shipping in any way, you'd want to find your way to Corinth. It was a spectacular, up-and-coming kind of a place filled with all sorts of very, very exciting kinds of people. There were Romans there because it's the Roman Empire. There were also, of course, 
Greeks because it's in Rome-occupied Greece. Uh, There was also a a large contingent of Jewish people. And we had found some very cool uh, archaeological things. They found some inscriptions that are in Hebrew. They found pieces of old synagogues decorated with menorahs. And so this speaks to the fact that there was a well-established Jewish contingent there in uh, Corinth. We also know uh, from history that Gallio, who was, this is called the Gallio inscription, Gallio was actually referenced in non-biblical sources as well, the guy who was the judge over Paul's little mini trial there. And so we get to establish Paul's timeline in Corinth from archaeological finds and other, other writings to between like 51 and 52 AD. That's the level of precision. Biblical scholars use uh, things like this to date the whole of Paul's influence in the region. Sometimes people like to say, you know, oh man, the Bible's just a whole bunch of these stories and things, and they don't realize that the book of Acts is one of the greatest resources for historians trying to piece things together during this time period with names that for you know, 500 years had no other reference anywhere else, and then suddenly they start showing up in inscriptions and things like this. So it was a really great city in many, many ways, and uh, very multicultural and very exciting and all of that. Uh, But if you were a social climber, you'd want to go here. And that led to a whole lot of, of boasting and pride among the Corinthians. In fact, there's this fascinating um, inscription, which uh, I think has been something of, uh, it's probably even a song. Uh, it says, Corinth, Corinth, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. If you can read the Greek there. True story. But that was the kind of a city, a lot of similarities like ours. And so here's what's super cool. Paul, he starts off this letter and he says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Now you got to check this out, right? The re- this is surprising. The rest of the letter is going to be a long list of problems in the Corinthian church. There's all sorts of issues. There's divisions and there's arrogance and there's a lack of love. And he goes, he's going to, we're going to spend the whole of this series looking at all of these challenges and problems that the Corinthian church faced. But Paul doesn't start there. He starts even in his first couple verses and he says, listen, you're sanctified. You're set apart. You're made holy. You're already holy. You are the holy ones of God. Then he says, And you're called to be his holy ones. You're called to be his holy people. And so, wait a second. Are they the holy ones or are they called to be the holy ones? Yes. Yes. But of course, are they really the set-apart ones? Or is that just some sort of divine fiction? Because when we read the rest of the book, we're like, they don't really seem like the holy ones. They seem like they're all screwed up. So why is it that Paul comes along and he's saying, listen, you're the sanctified in Christ ones. You are the ones who are made, you're set apart for God's special purposes. And I just absolutely love this. There's a, another place, if you look down in a couple of the verses, he says, 
I always thank God. You have been enriched. God confirming our testimony about you. You do not lack any spiritual gifts. And so Paul, he's piling on all of these incredible kinds of things that actually don't look like the people we're about to meet in the letter. And you know, sometimes I think we forget who we are in Christ. I think we just forget I think we're, we're so busy in our lives, we're so wrapped up in the things around us and we're dealing with so many issues and we have so many failures and our devotional time was off and we didn't take care of that, that person who was in need and, and you know, I've just been wrapped up in that and I've been ignoring this and I feel guilt and I feel shame and I think sometimes every once in a while we have to be reminded of who we are in Jesus. We have to be remembered, reminded of our identity in Christ, who we are really are and who we are called to be. I've seen this happen so many times over the course of the years. Uh, there, was a, there was one story that stood out to me where I was uh, working with a guy. He was a big dude, burly, all tattoos, tough as can, you can be, as can be big, thick neck, like kind of one of these guys, right? And, and, and kind of mean, a little bit on the angry side of life. And when you start to hear his story, you understand why. It's been a rough life. Parents that were ashamed of, you know, what he was and what he had become and a wife who hadn't respected him and didn't respect him and problems with the kids and he was battling some other issues that were sin issues because of, of, of just having to try to cope with all of this and he was, but, but he was tough as nails. And, you know, you talk about sin issues and that's what we were there to talk about and so you want to kind of like, you know, go through the scriptures and say, oh, what does God say about these things? And it's just not what we did. I was like, you know, this guy already knows that. Like, that's what he's, it's his, that's his reality that he's living every single day. And so instead, we just talked about who he was in Christ. We talked about the fact that God was the king of the universe and that he calls us his children, which means that he's a prince in the royal court. Do we know that? Do we remember that no matter what has been, is going on and no matter what current struggles we're, we're faced with, what challenges we're trying to overcome, that we are princes and princesses in the royal court, that the whole business of the court will come to a screeching halt when the child of the king walks in and decides to have an audience with the king of the universe. Everything else falls to the side because we get to climb up on our father's lap. You heard the testimony earlier on and you, you hear these things and you go, yeah, that is exactly right because we are, we're his children and here's Paul raising this, this value, saying your identity is in Jesus. We're going to deal with the other stuff in a little bit. That's important because we actually want you to be sanctified. But let's start with who you are in Jesus. With your worth and your value and your dignity and the fact that you will one day be transformed into a creature that if we were to see you today, we would be tempted to worship you. We're told that we will rule with the king. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. And he encourages them in this because they know, he knows they're not feeling this way in many ways and many of us aren't feeling this way. And so he says that he will keep you firm to the end. You will be blameless. God is faithful. So here he is just packing the introduction of his, of his whole of his letter, just trying to frame the whole of it. And no matter where else we go in the whole of this series, we've got to remember these great truths. God is the faithful one. He 
will establish you. He has already called you out. He has made you his own, and you will be blameless in him. There is kind of a, a funny little moment here because he does start, Paul loves to start his letters with thanksgiving. He does almost every single time. And he usually he's like, hey man, I really thank God that you guys are so awesome and that you're loving people and like you're doing some great stuff and I'm so, this is awesome. I just thank God for you all the time. And he gets to the Corinthians and he's like, I always thank my God for you, not because of them, but because of his grace given you. So he's trying to be thankful, but he couldn't find too much to be thankful for. And so I would have a moment like this. I would be like, you know, you can imagine if somebody sits down and they're like, hey, I feel like, you know, we should have a talk. We have to have a meeting. And I just want to start by thanking God that he has been so patient and forgiving with you. That's what Paul's doing. He was like, that's where we should start. If your spouse starts a conversation with you like that, it's a problem. I'm really glad that God has forgiven you because I want to kill you. And so you you get one of these moments. But anyway, now we get to the gist of it. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul, another Apollos, Cephas, and another Christ. And this is just the beginning of their divisions. There are a ton of them that we'll look at over the upcoming months, but it is craziness. And, and some scholars, they like to point out that this is more than simply them picking their favorite teacher, because at first that's what it kind of looks like, right? They're like kind of running to their favorite teacher and they're like, well, I was from Apollos and stuff. But some scholars point out that this is actually more than that, because in every culture, there's a social pecking order. Right? It just establishes based on what society, and it's also the values of the secular society. And so in Roman Corinth, Roman citizens would be at the top of that pecking order. Next would be Greeks, because it was still Greece. Next, you could say people, smaller people groups like the Jews. And then after that, it's like slaves and, and you know, the, all the dredges of society. They go all the way down to the very, very bottom. This isn't a hierarchy that God sees. This is a hierarchy that secular culture continues to, to push into their own values. And of course, because of that, the church is at risk of picking up. And what you see here is when he says, I follow Paul. Paul was a Roman citizen. I follow Apollos. Apollos was a Greek. I follow Cephas. He uses Peter's Jewish name as if he's starting to highlight these different hierarchies and pecking orders, which are actually at the, are one of the root causes of the divisions that we're going to be talking about throughout the rest of the letter. And so it's almost as if from the, at the outset, he's trying to unravel these things. And of course, then there's the, the I follow Christ, which is a super cool group, because they're the group that like, as one, one uh, commentator rec, uh, read into that, they were like, you know, there's always that group in the church. Where everyone else is like, oh, I'm doing that, and I'm following this, and that. And the other one's like, well, we follow just Jesus. You know, they're the group that, like, isn't sure the pastor is saved, but they're praying for him. That's the one. That's how they, that's how they explain him in the literature. Like, he, it's that group. And every church has that group, and, and, and I've known those groups over the years. Uh, and they're definitely the, the Christ group. You know, they're the ones that know better and understand more um, and therefore can judge even more harshly and critically than anyone else. And so anyway, that is, and I know this is a pretty shocking, this is a pretty shocking thing, you know, because who in the world would imagine that a church would ever divide them like this? I mean, stunning, almost impossible to imagine, I'm sure, uh, unless you've been in church life for anything more than like an hour. 
There's a, there's a story about a guy who was uh, on a deserted island for decades. And um, he was by himself. And this had gone on for so many years. He was just no hope that he would ever be rescued. Well, one day he's rescued. A ship finds him and they see him there and they see his little structures. And it's so exciting. He's going to finally be able to go home after all this time. But the, the, the ship captain notices that there's, that there's three structures built there on the, on the shoreline. And he was like, well, you know, are you here alone? Like, were you always alone? He's like, yeah, I've been here alone the whole time. He's like, so what's with the three, the three huts? He's like, oh, he goes, well, the first one, that one there is where I live. And the guy was like, all right, that's right, that makes sense. And what's the other one here? Then he goes, well, that's my church. You know, I wanted a sacred place. And the guy was like, oh, of course, that's so sweet. Like, you know, you wanted a place where you could still worship, you know, that was different from your home. And he goes, yeah, but then what's the third place? And the, the you know, the guy says, well, that was my old church. Because <laughs> even if you're alone, you could split and divine churches. And Paul is saying, this is ridiculous. You've been infected by the values of the world. You've been infected like, a, like, a, like an oily kind of seeping through the, the air and the water and the ecosystem that you find yourself in. It's just, it's just leaching out all over and eventually it's going to stain every little bit, every, little, uh, every one of your relationships, every little bit of life. It's going to damage and he tells us, no, we have to be unified. I want you to be unified. We're not divided anymore. There's no more divisions. I want you to agree with one another. You know, we here at Beacon, we have a whole series of things that we work toward to try to get unity as a part of who we are. And so we do this through our classes. We have discipleship classes, and those classes are designed to tell us what the fundamentals of the faith are, the essentials, the things that we all adhere to, that we all agree with, that we all understand, and we major on the majors, and we don't, we don't really care that much about the minors. Why are we dividing about all of these kinds of things that aren't so important? We have discipleship groups, and we work with uh, little triads, like one-on-two, one-on-three. And, and in those groups, we figure out how to apply God's word and learn how to love each other in these little communities and how do we learn to love our families and serve our neighbors and serve our communities. A lot of what we do in these groups are designed to help us become a unified kind of people. But we have, a, we have another great way we do this, and that is through our small groups. And uh, we have a little treat for you. We're going to ask Soan to come up. And Soan is one of our small group leaders from the, uh, from the Port Washington group. And we have asked her to come and share with us a little bit about her experience in uh, leading the group. So everybody, welcome Soan. So thank you so much for coming out and being with us. And I had a fun time hearing her stories uh, over this week. She's been uh, a leader in uh, the Port Washington small group for a couple of years. And Cheryl and I have been able to see a little bit into the life of that group and have been so impressed with what they've accomplished there that we wanted to hear from uh, one of the leaders. And so it's been two years, I think you told me, right? Yeah. About All right. Do you have a highlight or two that you kind of want to like tell us a little bit about what small group life has sort of meant to you? Um, I think more than, I mean, there, there, oh my God, there's so much, <laughs> but I think the, the biggest thing for me is that, um, over the past two years, like our small group has really gelled to start to feel a lot like a family, you know, more than just, I guess, a community or a, a gathering of friends. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that uh, we do a little differently at Beacon is, you know, sometimes you might have been used to a small group 
where, you know, you kind of, we, we kind of group people up, you know, you have a marriage group and then you have like a single adult group and you have things like that. And we've gone in a different direction. We felt like it was important for us to create our small groups so that they might look more like a spiritual family. And so we've created them to be more geographically based. And so that's why we refer to it as the small, the Port Washington small group. Um, the group is very diverse. You want to speak to that just a little bit? Yeah. Uh, we have uh, people from, you know, pretty much all, <laughs> all walks of life. I think uh, the, the thing that I love the most is that our, uh, in addition to being ethnically and socioeconomically and politically diverse, um, our group is generationally diverse. You know, so we have people who are, you know, just graduated from college and starting in their careers. And then uh, we have people who are, uh, parents of smaller kids, you know, um, you know, like getting older. And then we have people who are more uh, experienced in life. Older. <laughs> life experience. We were, we were invited to an 80th birthday party, a surprise birthday party for one of their members uh, in the group. It was Joni, actually. And Yay! Cheryl and I were able to, to go to that. They invited us. So, And... Um, it was super cool. Cheryl and I watched as everybody kind of interacted. And, you know, we, before Joni got there, uh, we have uh, Dips and Heidi, and Heidi was there. She's like, change the music. Joni won't like this kind of music. And I'm like, you know, so here's Heidi who knows the kind of music, you know, that Joni will like. And then when she shows up, uh, I think it was one of your daughters comes over and gives Joni a hug, and I was just wrecked. I was just, Cheryl and I were like just loving seeing this whole family kind of come, and then one of the highlights for me was when Joni insisted that Dips help her with her phone, because um, I was like, that is awesome, and Dips is like, how did I become tech support? I'm like, because you're like the son who needs to take care of the tech, and so I loved that. It was uh, a really, really sweet moment. Now, uh, have, you, have you experienced some of the tensions that diversity like that can bring? Yeah, I mean, I think that that of comes part and parcel with it you know is that like when you do have uh differences of opinion and some of them you know are really strongly held beliefs um it can get a little <laughs> awkward sometimes i think and you know people have a different uh way of perceiving awkwardness like i'm a little bit obtuse so <laughs> i don't pick up on it very <laughs> readily but you know i i think um it's inevitable, especially given the kind of year or a year and a half or two that we've had. Um, there's just been so much, you know, and it's and it's very stressful. And I think when you're coming from a place of stress, um, yeah, I mean, people's backs are against the wall. You're feeling, you know, maybe uh, left out, you know. Um, but I think that we've been able to really make it through based on our shared love for each other and our shared love for our God, you know, that, you know, that at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're trying to support and care for and have, and show grace and mercy toward each other, you know, that, you know, I, I think that that gets us past the awkward moments that, <laughs> that inevitably come along. Oh, I love that. You also had mentioned to me that uh, as a single mom, that the group was significant. I'm not supposed to say that. <laughs> I'm kidding. We agreed. I tried to. <laughs> okay. I tried to. I was like, "You can't do that to me. Don't get me up there. Ask, let, ask me to say this, and then call me out for it." But thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I'm pretty open about it. Um, uh, as a as a single parent, um, I think 
being part of a small group, and this has gone you know, across several different small groups. Actually, I was with Eddie and Megan in the beginning, and then Patty and June after that, and, you know, and now with uh, Heidi and Dips, we're you know, leading a third one. Um, but having gone through, I think, what is arguably one of the most difficult moments of, in my life, um, and like as you're going through the grief of going through that and all the different stages that come along with it, I think there's also this sense of, you know, whether it's deserved or not, uh, shame and isolation, you know, that comes with it. And um, I think being part of a, a family of believers, and, and I really put the emphasis on family, um, it, I feel like not just for me, but also for my kids, it filled some gaps that were there. And, you know, I think that there is no better way to both express and also receive, I think, the kind of love that God really wants to show us, you know, and that is paternal, fraternal, you know, all kinds of, like, amazing love. And I think that that is really the gift that I found in small group. And don't get doe-eyed on me because I'm going to break, but not because... Me, but because you're crying. <laughs> you're crying, not me. <laughs> well, you hear the stories. It's just, it's very, anyway. Um, are there parts of the group life that you would want to encourage the congregation? Maybe some folks who haven't yet made that decision to be part of one of these spiritual families. Anything you'd want to say to them? Um, I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's really it, you know. Um, at the end of the day, like, yeah, you're, you know, you're tired. Work is hard. It's another thing to do, but um, I think having that constant community around our shared faith, you know, and really living out what that means, you know, um, learning how to love each other past our differences and learning how to care for each other where, you know, where there, where there is need, and we all go through those phases, you know, whether it's uh, an illness or uh, job loss or just loneliness, you know, I think that there is no better way to give and receive God's love, I think, than in this kind of a small group format. I really, you know, hope that if you haven't plugged in already that, you know, you um, take this opportunity to do so because it is truly life-changing. Let's give Soan a big thank you for sharing her experience with us. Whenever we get to hear these stories of what's going on in these groups, it's always such a blessing, and uh, it just uh, continues to warm uh, my own heart and my own soul, and I hope it does for you as well. He tells us here, Paul asks, he challenges us, he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He's trying to link the whole of our Christian unity, all of the divisions, all of the problems. And maybe this, you know, this last season, this has been you. Maybe you, you look back on how you have lived over the last couple of years and you're saying, you know what, I haven't done great in this. You know, I, I drew up my battle lines. It was right, it was left, it was red, it was blue, it was Trump, it was never Trump. And, and now it's vax and anti-vax and now it's mask and no mask. And, and we find all of these things and we belittle 
the people who disagree with us. We mock, we, we, we find ways to denigrate. And Jesus is coming along saying, why are you in, inheriting all of the values from the culture? What part of the cross, what part of your forgiveness, what part of your acknowledgement that you are in fact a sinner saved by the grace of God allows you to continue drawing these kinds of lines and isolating people? And why are you letting the, the culture of this world infect you? Why are you not a light on a hill, the city on a hill, the light that cannot be snuffed out. Why are we not living such distinctively different kinds of lives? There is this incredible overarching theme that every single division within the Christian community, everything that has worked against us being one, worked against our unity, all of it ought, needs to be recalibrated in light of the gospel in light of the promise that Jesus has made to us. And this is the overarching thing. We're told grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. This is a greeting. This is a way of him saying, that's what we're looking for. It is the grace that comes from the gospel, from forgiveness in Christ, and it leads to peace it leads to shalom, it leads to unity, it, lives, it leads to the life well lived. And maybe now you're feeling that maybe there's some things I need to go clean up. Maybe there are some relationships that are now in disarray and I played my part. Maybe it wasn't you, maybe somebody else brought the division but you've decided not to go the extra mile and try to bridge that gap. Christian, that's not ours to do. That's not who we are. Jesus is coming alongside us. He's seeing all of these kinds of divisions. And he's telling us what Paul said. He's saying, you're better than that. You're better than that. You're holy and you're sanctified. And I am calling you out and up to represent my sacrificial kind of life here among your community and more broadly in the world, you're better than that. We're encouraging each and every one of you, if you're not in a group, join a group. If you have divisions that haven't been, been fixed, if you've had arguments and bickerings and things like that, 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 you, that you have not done your part to try to bridge those, those divides, then I'm encouraging you, Listen to what the scriptures say and bridge those divides and know that it is the love of Christ for each and every one of us that gives us all the power that we will ever need in this life to do all that he has called us to do. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.